Stories connect us as humans. A well-told story can motivate and inspire us. Storytelling is the ultimate superpower. Be The Drop is a weekly podcast that investigates how to tell stories that engage. Join me, Amelia Veal, on our shared journey to become better storytellers. In episode 205, Melanie Dancer, career transition coaching specialist, provides amazing insight into what it's like to be a first responder and help victims of crime. She shares her pivotal career-changing moment and provides tips on how to plan for your own career transition or progression. This is Melanie's version of Be The Drop. Are you starting a podcast? Narrative Marketing delivers a full range of podcast production and training options. Visit narrativemarketing.com.au or hit the link in the show notes for more details. Mel, thank you so much for joining me on our next episode of Be The Drop. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to hear about some of your stories and to share the learnings of those today. To get us started, can you talk us through your item of significance? So instead of an item, I really wanted to explain this pivotal experience that I had. So back in 2007, I was in the police and I was also on a board of the YWCA of Adelaide and I was very passionately attracted to this board position because it had a major focus on policy development and safety and at the time I was completing a scholarship on some drink spiking legislation so I started a a leadership position within as a board position and I had an opportunity to go to Africa to a World AIDS conference where there were 2,000 delegates from first world and third world countries attending in Nairobi and 50% of those women were HIV positive. When I was there, I did some fantastic plenary and breakout sessions in relation to microeconomics, community development, women's issues, but really talking to women on a really personal level about what the barriers were to them in their communities and what they're experiencing to, as as human beings with the problem of HIV. What this did for me was really open up my mind insofar as what work could be done in local communities. And I had said to the delegates that travelled with me from Adelaide, do you think that I could actually work in community services because I started to really become interested and very heightened to being able to work with people one-on-one and create experiences that that started at one point and, and had an outcome. And they looked at me like I was an idiot and said, are you kidding me? You would be fantastic. Look, from there, I really started a pathway of wanting to leave the police. And there's a backstory to how I found myself in that position as well. But that to me was a pivotal moment around this light bulb switching on thinking I'm more than my job and I have so much more to give and maybe it's time I explored that. Well, that is certainly an impactful experience. And as you say, it really gave you that pivot and change of mind frame Maybe just explain some of that backstory then around your experience through the police force and then I'd, you know, I'd really like to explore those experiences and what you took forward into the next chapter because some of that work you were doing in the police force was pretty intense work. I had a really interesting and successful background in policing in South Australia and worked for some amazing people under some incredible leadership. 
I was started on general patrols, as you do, but then found myself being particularly drawn to victimology, so the victim side of, of policing. And I found I had a particular knack for um, assisting write statements for victims of crime who'd experienced sexual assault or domestic violence. This led a particular interest in me and I went down a path of exploring whether I could actually join the sexual assault unit, which I did. And I was I was hastily sponsored up into a position and started a secondment there. I bounced around being a very good specialist in sexual assault and worked with some amazing women. And, and the way it works is that daily there are multiple reports of sexual assault, some of which the um, victims will choose to progress through the justice system and some who do not and the daily grind of this job was to sit down with somebody and actually type out their statement or record their statement as it was happening so that they could produce their first account of what was happening. The unit also took on child protection and child sexual assault matters as well where young people over the age of three would um, provide information around their sexual assault. So it was quite specialised and quite intense. That led me to being selected to joining the Pedophile Task Force, which was started in the early 2000s in response to the Anglican Church and Mulligan Inquiry. South Australia had a statute of limitation on reporting sexual assault, which was then abolished, which meant that it opened the opportunity for victims of crime of historical sex crime to report. And we ran one of the most successful Crime Stoppers weekends where we asked people to phone in their sexual assault, historical or current. That led us down a path of um, a number of, of investigators and detectives investigating a web of pedophile activity in South Australia. And I was one of those investigators. And it was quite intense um, and we worked very closely as a team. The culture was quite intense, but the results kind of spoke for themselves. It was incredibly media worthy, I guess. We were under scrutiny a lot and it the, the team itself was quite tight and it was led extremely well by the now Commissioner Grant Stevens. So... During that time, I had become a police negotiator as well, which was a job on top of a job. And I was one of those police officers that would go out and talk people down off buildings or out of siege situations in the middle of the night with the star force and be called out and have to go out and deal with those things. So I was juggling quite a few things, including a scholarship thesis that I was completing as well. So my work had become quite complex, had become quite draining. And I started to experience extreme levels of stress relating to the stories that mm. I was compiling from the victims of crime. And we're talking about men in their 40s and 50s who would trust you enough to sit with you for three days to, to take a statement, to take to the Department of Prosecution to see if it would proceed or not. And you can look back in time and, and obviously the records show the criminals that were convicted or let off or mm. whatever. And for years later after I resigned, I was still called back in to provide information in relation to investigations I'd completed. So it took a very long time to kind of get over this kind of work. But I found myself becoming quite drained, drained and detached from my family and detached from my regular habits and some poorer habits and poorer choices formed. Now, 
whether that's a sign of, of my resilience, uh, my resilience was certainly tested. And, and of course, we're talking about quite a few years ago. So to be able to talk about mental health and what struggles you were going through back then was more of an internal issue. You had to report it and then go and speak to somebody internally to be able to work it through. So there was no independent person or service that you could actually go to. So I had quite a severe breakdown in relation to the volume and years of work that I'd been working in sexual assault and sex crime. And we're talking about six, seven years of it and had to rebuild myself from that point. So Mm. from the point that I absolutely dropped and couldn't go back to work for a couple of days and and people laugh when I say I took had to take four days off work before I went back people are quite astounded that it was four days but I wanted to work I wanted to be productive yeah but I mean it's so like understand the impact of story I I have not been in the situation where I've recorded multiple stories and for years of of victims of sexual crimes that to me the impact of that just seems like it would be so huge to be able to have your professional role and need to you know the desire obviously in you is strong to want to help them but somehow not take on board those the stories and the hurt and the pain it's incredibly intimate it's incredibly it's incredibly humbling to be in a room with somebody who is telling you about the most intricate details of their life when they first met their partner, when they then went through the struggle of feeling sexually inadequate because of grooming that had happened when they were 8 or 10 or 12, having to disclose that to their partner. The real kicker in a lot of cases was that as soon as we find out who the first the, per- the first person they disclosed to was, we get a statement from that person and they're not to talk about it because we don't want their evidence to tarnish each other's. So if you report something to me and you say that you've reported it to your husband, we'll get a statement from the husband, but now that it's in the court system, it's evidence. So it's difficult for them to keep talking about it and that that causes strain and stress and to have to explain that to somebody and say well now you can't actually talk about it with your wife is very very difficult but there are places in Adelaide that we were investigating matters that happened all over Adelaide and and in at times in other states and regionally and there are places that I know of of where things have happened that I can't even go to to this day without feeling yuck Mm. so incredibly challenging and big complex challenges that you were dealing with in the workplace and you then as you said you came to this point and you went and had this pivotal moment and you realized that maybe there was something beyond uh, maybe there was something that could take you out of the blue uh, which is what you've called your consultancy uh, now as you look forward to how you could take those skills because incredibly valuable skills that you've learned through navigating that work that you've done um, but as you said that came with a cost so what what is there you know how do you then take that into the next next chapter so I had by chance met a career transitionalist at an event that I was at and I kind of thought to myself well if I was going to move on to the police what would I actually 
if I was going to move from the police, what would I actually do? So I met with her and she took me on a path of being able to identify my transitional skills and map them to jobs outside of the police. And I started to see over a number of months, and this was a journey for me, that I was valuable in other ways. And I drew on the experiences that I was having outside of the police. I mapped the experiences that I'd had inside the police to something that was valuable outside and then started applying for jobs and transitioned out. And and from there had built up a career as a senior manager and executive in a number of industries. As I was honing my ability to lead people strategically and design business services and use and build on all of the experiences that I'd had, I started to think about what if this, what if what I have gone through and the way and the steps that I had transitioned would be useful for those police who were going through the same thing that I was all those years ago. Many police try to leave or they may take up leave without pay to try something without actually understanding the state that they're currently in, the story that they're currently telling themselves and what their strategy might be for success. So what I'm interested in working with in people is what state they find themselves in, what story they're telling themselves and how to actually work a solution through. And that solution might actually be to stay as well. So it's not all about leaving the police, it is about finding yourself in a particular state, talking to somebody independent who has been through what you what you were going through and understand the environment that you're in and finding options for yourself rather than struggling on your own. And yes, there are certainly psychological services that the police and the employee assistance program offer internally. But for me, I found it most beneficial talking to somebody completely outside of policing because it was independent. With my background in policing and my background in growing executive leadership positions and recruiting myself, I know what's what it takes to move through and to analyse what you need and, and identify those transferable skills. And often it's being able to have someone to tell you how valuable you are where you're able to then change your belief systems around what you feel about yourself and then make a choice, an informed choice, rather than struggling in the space that you're in. Mm. And so for you then, what were some of those key leadership skills that you think you've really taken out of that experience, your experience from within the police force? Being really authentic and being brave. And I know that the word authentic is, is used a lot. For me, it's about being brave enough to be vulnerable and hold a space for somebody when they're with you to really be present in how someone is talking to you, to really listen to the hooks around what they're saying to you, to then be able to and understand and respect that if they're talking to you, they're, they're talking to you for a reason, not just to have a transaction. It's about having a conversation that's transformational, whether it be in an email or face-to-face building teams and working with employees and all the time honouring the position that you have and in paying it forward has always been a passion of mine. So I happily give away tips, tricks, help people plan for their future away from me so that they can understand that I want to get the best out of them and help them do that rather than what I can get out of them. Um, And for me, that's something that in policing is forgotten from time to time because you're always on point. You are reactive most of the time. And so that sense of self and what you can get from a 
job or a career is often missed. Um, it's not a core function of police to provide a lot of professional services, let's face it. They're there to respond and they're there to react. But meanwhile, how are individual police officers thinking about their own professional development, carrying them through those challenges and what services might they need to maintain them in that role or move them away if they're in pain? And you use the the word planning a lot, so transformational planning and return to work planning. And so that's obviously something that's been really important to you and a key skill that you would advocate for? Absolutely. If one progresses in chaos and, and doesn't stop and actually take the time to actually observe what's going on around them, there's opportunities that are missed. And the opportunities might not be macro, at the macro level, like another job opportunity. The opportunities just might be to listen to your body to find out if you need to take some time out to call your mum because you've been putting it off for three days and it makes you feel better afterwards. So having the opportunity to actually stop and plan even the day amongst the chaos is incredibly useful and that takes some training when you're amongst the chaos when you're amongst the reaction of a role that throws you into something every single day the day is different so the adrenals are really high your cortisol levels are incredibly high and sustained most of the time and that actually makes it a compounded issue to lower your cortisols to find yourself in a state of, of, of relaxation. So there's some research being done at the moment in relation to the impact and stress on families for first responders. And there's a lot of research on cortisol in emergency services and how heightened levels of cortisol can mess with your ability to relax. So planning around that and being very present and aware of that is key to individuals being able to take control of themselves and control of the decisions that they're making and the choices that they're making. Mm. Then for you now in your in your next chapter now when you're looking at leadership that motivates and inspires and how you can take all of that learning and bring it together to help others achieve their goals. What are what are some of those top tips that you think will really help build stronger better leaders? Leadership for me is something that is intrinsically, everybody has an intrinsic ability to lead by example in any aspect of their life. So I think the concept of leadership itself can be polarising to some people insofar as what they would, how they would interpret that word. And I guess for me, the use of leadership in coaching other people and assisting other people really lies in the ability to hold the space for them and allow them to understand how powerful their own presence can be, but how they actually can translate that into other contexts. So whilst a police officer has a uniform on, they visually appear to be in control and have the ability to, by virtue of association with the task police do, people will instantly make a decision around what they potentially could do at any second because they're wearing a uniform. When that person takes the uniform off, depending on how much that person identifies themselves with their role, they will be able to carry themselves in their own skin well or they may not. And that's the piece that when things are not working so well needs to be worked on insofar as 
allowing people to understand that they themselves have leadership capabilities within them all the time, regardless of the office that they hold or regardless of the uniform that they're wearing or the job that they do. So being able to hold the space for somebody and actually talk them through what state they find themselves in and the story that's brought them there assists to be able to identify what leadership qualities and traits that they have as individuals, which doesn't ever change. Preferences around how we are as individuals doesn't change. It's just the context we find ourselves in as to how to execute those traits. So by identifying traits in people and talking them through how valuable they are as individuals will be a opening of the gate to being able to help them move forward, whether it's, and as I said before, it's whether they want to stay, whether they want to go, whether they just want to explore something a bit different. Mm. And so I like that concept that leadership is a role that we all have to play, you know, rather than a top echelon or, or whatever that is, because in some shape or form we can lead a, a context or a direction of something. When I was, the classic is when you go to build someone's resume. So when someone says, what should I include in my resume? Should I really include that I'm a volunteer on the food co-op at the local food co-op? And I said, well, anything is relevant. It's how you contextualise it and it depends on the type of impression that you want to make on the receiver of the information. So police are great at underestimating their skills and attributes and it's so much more than, you know, guns, uniforms, paperwork and court and walking the beat. It's about effective communication, stress tolerance, effective enforcing, um, coordination of communication, strong displays of public vulnerability, being, have, being empathetic those kind of qualities. And it's about taking that out of the realm of a uniform and making it transferable. Mm. Well, Mel, thank you so much for joining me. In conclusion, though, could you share with me your be the drop tip? So that would be your top tip for communication that motivates and inspires. I think for me overall as an individual is, was my ability to become a bit more vulnerable. And if my belief is if you're vulnerable, then natural authenticity will shine through regardless. And everyone's story is interesting. And if you underestimate someone's story, and this is where I really love the synergies of, of what we're doing today, you get so much more out of somebody and they will be able to appreciate you a lot more. So never underestimate the ability of someone to sit silently and critique you at the other end of a table, I guess. It's about being vulnerable and really authentically being there for somebody because you never know what you're going to find out, which will be the key to what they might be looking for. Mm, so taking that time to really appreciate everyone's story. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Be The Drop. 
Don't forget to subscribe in order to ensure you never miss out on one of our weekly episodes. Be The Drop is produced by Narrative Marketing, where we believe that stories connect individuals and that powerful storytelling can positively impact the world. To unleash your storytelling superpower, visit narrativemarketing.com.au or check out our social links in the show notes. To contact me directly with any specific comments you have, you can email me via amelia at narrativemarketing.com.au. And don't forget that whilst a task or challenge may seem overwhelming, a waterfall begins with one drop and look what comes from that. This is a Narrative Network podcast.